You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are igniting the imagination of leaders through purposeful, life-giving conversations about the five muscles the body of Christ must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information about the five muscles, visit tmf-fdn.org and click Leadership Ministry. Welcome back to Igniting Imagination. I'm Lisa Greenwood, and joining me again is Scott Sharp and Blair Thompson-White. Hi, y'all. Hello. Hi, Lisa. We're talking about discerning purpose again today. And if you've been listening to our podcast since the beginning, 25 plus episodes now, you know that this is our third episode about purpose. And if you were to go back and listen to all of the episodes, even the ones where purpose is not stated as the main topic, we end up talking about purpose somewhere in every conversation. So it's true. Most of our conversations involve purpose. So let's talk about why we talk about purpose all the time. That is the purpose of our talking about purpose. So Scott, (laughs) what are your thoughts on that? It seems to me that we are always asking, why are we here? You know, whether we're Mm -hmm. asking that in an existential way or we're asking that, why did I come to Target again? You know, we're, we're trying to figure out why we're here. Why did I walk into the kitchen? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Where's my phone? Oh, it's in my hand. But we're asking that sort of question of why are we here all the time? And then when we gather with other people, that question gets exponentially harder, right? Because we have differing opinions. I mean, unless we're designed or, or, or gathered to win a game or whether, or we have this really clear outcome, I think the question of purpose is always going to be in the back of our mind. And it's sort of foundational to why we get together with other people, because we ultimately believe when we gather with other people that that's a benefit to figuring out our purpose. Otherwise, we just stay home. (laughs) But it's also, by the same measure, that much more complicated. So I was uh, caught by a a Fortune magazine article that came across my feed recently about, of course, all these lists of of the new year kind of thing. So it was a 2022 list for businesses of, of what will be trends. And so the three trends that they identified in this article were, you know, that businesses need to be paying attention to technology, (laughs) the technical revolution. The second thing was the post-pandemic imperative to reinvent office work, which I thought was interesting. And then the third one was a continuing drive to put purpose at the center of business. And and they made it a real point to talk about that and how the most successful companies will be those that embrace those three interlocking waves of change. And there's a big performance gap between those who do that and those who don't. Like that performance gap is going to grow. Now, we can certainly apply that to the church, but all that being said is we know, and this is very simple, churches who are focused on purpose, they're doing better. They're doing better. And by that, I mean, there's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. There are real energies happening there. There's a sense of coming together as a community around what is God's purpose for us instead of right now, which the tendency is to be real anxious because we're looking in the pews and we're not seeing nearly as many people as we used to. So there's a real shift for congregations who are focused on purpose. They're not feeling the anxiety in the same way <laughs> as as other congregations who are looking more at numbers these days. So is that resonating with you all like it did with me? 
Absolutely. And and right there, I mean, that's from completely secular source and environment and and yet it's it's at the heart of who we understand ourselves to be, our purpose, right? Yeah. I mean, it's as in God-appointed mission, right? As in calling, um, a sense of why are we here, but what does it mean to be following uh, God's purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Blair, what you said yeah. really strikes me because it, it it's about a future orientation. Mm-hmm. So much of the time when we're not focused on purpose, we're, we're in a rear view orientation or a historical orientation or what we used mm-hmm. to be kind of orientation. When you ask the questions like you did, it really makes us say, why am I here? And what's the purpose that leads me forward? Oh, yeah. I mean, that pull of nostalgia right now is so <laughs> strong. We talk about this a lot too, but purpose can help us to stay oriented towards the present moment. God wants us to be a part of what God's doing now and not looking back to the things we have done. Not, not to discount them, not to say that they weren't important or that it's not a part of our identity, but that, that we're not really being faithful if all we're doing is looking back. So good, you all. And, you know, it's a great lead in to our conversation today with Gil Rendell, who is one of the people who has really helped us as an organization put purpose at the center of our work. So he's a dear friend and colleague to us and and has been on the podcast before. But if you're not familiar with Gil, here are a few highlights from his bio. Gil has an extensive background in organizational development, group and systems theory, and leadership development. He has consulted with congregations on planning and staff and leadership development and issues of change. He is well known for his work with middle judicatory and national denominational offices and staff as they wrestle with denominational and congregational change. His most recent book is Quietly Courageous, Leading the Church in a Changing World. And we have several of his papers available free on our website. His most recent one, Jacob's Bones on the Church's Institutional Future, is one that we'll really be drawing from today. Um, I hope you'll download it and share it. It really sparks conversation, as you will see in my conversation with Gil. And of course, we'll link everything in our show notes. Scott and Blair, I'm curious what struck you all about this conversation with Gil. I think one of the foundational things that Gil talks about that I don't know if he actually names specifically, but it it's underlying everything is the is the notion of how purpose relates to individuation, how especially related to the church and how for so long it was identifying its purpose alongside culture and alongside institutions of American culture. And now Purpose is finding a sense of individuation that is because the church is no longer so connected with institutions. And there is agony to that. There's pain to that. If you've ever watched a teenager, that's what happens in that stage of life when you're sort of pulling away from family, you're connecting with other kids. And then even in that, you're finding where you belong and you don't belong. And that's part of what Gil talks about. That's like the water that he swims in. And so talking about what purpose looks like for us is that notion of, oh, we're trying to find our identity in this world that requires some level of separation and also some level of belonging. And holding that intention is really important to do. So I'm curious from y'all, you know, our last conversation about purpose 
was with Susan Beaumont. And so I'm wondering if you heard resonance in these two conversations or how we might put uh, Susan's work in conversation with Gil's thoughts on purpose. For me, Lisa, there's this notion that Gil really is so good at assessing things and sort of bringing out the issues and sort of identifying sort of just all the kind of, I don't know, like symptoms of a situation. And I think what Susan adds for me in that conversation is, is being comfortable in the unknowing of that. Like that there is Mm -hmm. patience to be had and there, there's time to breathe to be had. And the whole notion of being in the middle of things is important rather than jumping to a conclusion of how we might solve something (laughs) rather than just be in the uncomfortable nature of a moment. Moving from that place of needing absolute certainty to being, um, to having a stance of unknowing and kind of living in that space. And uh, which is funny because when we think about purpose, we tend to think about certainty, right? Mm -hmm. We tend to think about real clarity of what that is. And, And yes, there's a certain amount of that, but it doesn't mean everything's all mapped out. We can have a clarity of identity and purpose and not necessarily have our plans all mapped out. Yeah. I mean, I hope folks will go back and listen to that conversation with Susan Beaumont from last season because her distinction between decision-making and discernment or problem-solving and discernment very much in line with what Gil has talked about for a long time now. Um, And so putting these two in conversation with each other is just so helpful. I mean, she gives an example uh, about which is so common um, about the 830 service. What should we do with it? Should we should we just you know get rid of it because it's draining our resources? It's only serving a small number of people now. And so taking that very practical example and approaching it instead of how do we solve this problem, how do we discern, again, back to purpose, God's purposes for us as a community of faith? And then from that place of discernment, make some decisions. Um, so spending the time involved in discernment, I think right now, again, we're all so anxious to problem solve. We, we feel like that's our go-to stance and way of being and makes us feel good to have make some decisions. But the reality is what will ultimately serve us and serve our congregations in the long run is spending some time in silence and prayer and looking around and saying, where's God showing up and where's the energy? And and that just takes a lot longer. And we have to be okay with that to your earlier point, Scott. I think there's a difference of having purpose rooted in answers and a purpose rooted in questions. Mm. You know, both can be oh, significantly so foundational, you know? Yeah. Can you give an example of that, Scott? I think that's really helpful. Yeah, I think, I think uh, that's probably rooted in like parenting, right? There's, there's a real difference between um, my purpose as a parent rooted in giving my teenager the answers that I think that I think she needs to know is extremely different from asking her questions to get to the root of who she is and and at the and what the purpose of all that is is to demonstrate that I love her no matter what but there mm-hmm. those are two very different roads to demonstrate that Oh, this has been so good, you all. Thank you. Let's listen to my conversation with Gil Rendell now. Hi, Gil. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Lisa, always good to be with you. Always, always good to be with you. Well, I have recently read your paper, Jacob's Bones, so I really appreciate your willingness to just come and talk about it and um, and and help us wrestle with this notion of institution. I think one of the things that we do is that 
we think of the institution as all the things that frustrated us about being the church, right? We talk about being invested in the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, and not so much the, the preserving of the institution of the church. And so we make it out as if it's the it's all the bad things that we don't like or that we're frustrated with. And and you have really turned that around in this paper and invited us into a different understanding of what we mean by institution. So will you talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. And I, I think that there's a couple of pieces here that probably are worth um, uh, trying to uncover in a way. I, I want to start from an acknowledgement that institutions are terribly valuable to us. We depend upon them in ways that that often we have either forgotten or we just never think about. And so while we've struggled with our institutions, we sometimes forget their value. And institutions have always been used by people to form their lives, uh, individually to form their lives. Uh, Institutions carry our greatest values, and they shape the behaviors around those values. And so we depend upon institutions to shape who we are as individuals. You know, if you think about the, the institution of education that teaches us how to think, how to engage in an organized way in our world, it gives us a context, it gives us background. We depend upon that in order to shape our lives. You can think about banking institutions. They shape the way in which we manage our resources, not only in the present, but thinking about the future. There are no institutions that you can turn to that don't have both values and disciplines that we, in fact, need in order to shape our lives. And then even beyond that, institutions shape our common good. And another way of saying that is that they give us ways to live with one another under agreement so that we know how to be with one another. So where I really want to start here is that institutions are not just important, but they are invaluable. We can't live without them. Now, you're right that we have struggled with our institutions. And one of my primary arguments is beginning in the, the 1960s, our culture moved in such a way that our institutions did not thrive. And I have my own arguments about why that happens, but they have struggled immeasurably. And, and to a, a, a good degree, we really don't even trust them at times. And again, for good reason there. That doesn't mean they're not important. It doesn't mean that we don't need them, but we are struggling with them right now. But the next step I'd like to take is that when we begin to think about institutions, We have conflated the notion of institution and organization as if it means the same thing. Uh And one of the the most helpful pieces that I've run into is the work of Hugh Hecklow, who has kind of uh, disconnected that. Yes, institutions have an organizational side. That's That's how you kind of live them out. But he also talks about an institution as a construction of a social reality. And that's okay, say more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, see, that's it. That's it. I mean, suddenly we're in a different thing. What is an institution, uh, you know, kind of uh, a construction of a social reality? A construction of a social, a social reality is a way of looking at the world. And an institution carries a way of looking at the world that, as I'm saying, is housed in values and behaviors. And I think, you know, there's a couple of places that we can point uh, to to kind of unpack that, such as the institution of marriage. Uh, If you begin to think about the institution of marriage, it's a language that's very common to us 
because it's an institution for us in the sense that it holds together a set of values and a set of behaviors that we would expect people to adhere to if they are married. And it has to do with covenants. It has to do with fidelity. It has to do with the relationships uh, of people both within the marriage and outside the marriage and the community. All that kind of stuff is held there in this so-called institution of marriage. But the institution of marriage is a way of looking at the world. It just happens to be an institution that doesn't need an organization to carry it. And so you can see here where you've divided the notion of an institution as an organization from the institution of the construction of the social reality. Okay. The fact yeah. is democracy is, can be thought of in the same way. It's a set of values and behaviors that many organizations contribute to and participate in, but the institution of democracy exists beyond them or beside them. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yes. And so essentially what you're saying is that the institution can exist as a way of looking at the world and as a, uh, as um, something that holds our values and even practices and may or may not need an organizational structure around it, but most do. Most probably. do. Most do. And, and so when we think about the church, it's the institution of the gospel message, the values, the spiritual practices that right. are held. Now we have denominational structures that are the organization of the church and congregations and those sorts of things. Right. Right. You're making right. a distinction. I'm here. making a distinction. And okay. if you will, it's, it's this, uh, that construction of a social reality that has to do with congregations and, and denominations and religion that has to do with people trying to answer questions for themselves about who am I, how do I live in this world, and then eventually ask that question, how do I live with others, and what do I expect from others? And that's given in the context of covenant uh, through the church. Okay. But then, you know, push it a little bit further. Once you walk back over into the organizational side, one of our dilemmas is that's where all of our anxiety is. Ah. Okay, we are more. we are so worried about the organizational side of our religion, about whether or not we've got congregations that are going to thrive, whether they're going to continue to exist. How do we resource them? Can we trust them? What's going to happen when denominations begin to shift like the United Methodist Church is going through its changes right now? What is that going to do? What happens when you begin to think about yourself globally as a denomination, as apart from locally? And we have all these anxieties. And, you know, how are we going to pay for our clergy? How are people who want to be clergy going to find? A we have all this anxiety and that anxiety quite naturally flips us into all of the problem solving that hides from us the actual construction of social reality that there is, in fact, a creative God that we can relate to and that can help us shape and form our lives and form healthy relationships and community. That all gets set, how do, how do I say that? It, it, it isn't that it gets set aside, but somehow it no longer becomes primary focus for us because we're so worried about the anxiety and the, uh, of the organization and the future of the organization. Yes, because where our anxiety is, that's where we put our energy. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yep. Ouch. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Right. And that flips us right into problem solving instead of discernment. Uh huh. Okay. okay. Say a word about that. Well, yes. I mean, you know, the thing is that uh, problem solving is 
uh, is trying to meet the um, the immediate anxiety, the immediate challenge, the immediate need that is right there. And, you know, I mean, it's long been known that, you know, whenever you have something that's urgent, it helps you to forget about that, which is important. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are, not just as, uh, you know, leaders of religious organizations. That's kind of where we are socially and um, culturally, uh, that we are so anxious even over our institutions, uh, our organizational institutions of politics. Mm-hmm. There is so much anxiety over the power that is to be held by either or both of our political parties that we have forgotten about what is the purpose of democracy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you find it isn't as if this is just a church problem. It's all over. Right. This is, this yeah. is where we are culturally at the moment. Yeah. And so that's so helpful to hear you say that because I think it, in our culture, but also in our churches, like I think there's something deep in our bones that wants to be focusing on the lasting, the important, the God-appointed mission, if you will, the calling, the the purpose, right? We we want that. We long for that. And yet we're spending all our energy on the things that, on problem solving or on shoring up the institution or on relieving anxiety in our system and and it's frustrating. Yeah, sure. And, and exhausting. I mean, think about think okay, so think about how many conversations you at TMF have been through with clergy who are struggling with their own exhaustion. Yeah. Uh, and their lack of the lack of meaning of what they're trying to do right now. They're mm-hmm. trying to keep something mm-hmm. afloat. But read your newspaper because you're hearing the same conversations from yeah. nurses. You're hearing the same conversation from teachers. All who are absolutely overwhelmed by the the fragility of the institution that they're in under stress, that it's hard for them to stay connected to the very reason that they wanted to be there in the first place. And in our churches, we've got we've got both clergy and laity who are simply exhausted and dismayed uh, at this point because mm-hmm. there's no clear path ahead. Uh, you know, it, and it, it is, you know, a lot of it is so much the pandemic for sure, because it's it's exacerbated the changes that were coming anyhow. But suddenly, you know, there's no clear way to, to know exactly how can you remedy that. Uh, and so it raises the question, perhaps there is no remedy here. Perhaps, you know, problem solving is the wrong way to go at this, uh, that we have to begin to open our spirits up again. Mm. And begin to talk about purpose. Why are we here? What is God asking at this point? You know, what is what is the gospel bring to this moment that can be lived out, even if it's in a different organizational form? Can you imagine how hard it is for leaders to let go of the institution right. uh-huh. while they ask those kinds of questions? I mean, think about clergy. They get paid for caring for that institution, right? for the organizational side of the institution. Let alone district superintendents and bishops yeah, sure, who are sure, responsible for sure, right. sure. So yeah, I mean, you know, uh, think about what it's like to be a preacher. Go walk up in the pulpit and say to your your congregation, "Well, friends, I don't know what's going to happen to our church here. Let's not worry about that. Let me talk about." It. Okay, you see, you can't you can't live unattached to either sides of this. This is why it's so dramatically difficult for people at this moment. It, it leads right into what we're talking about when we talk about these adaptive muscles, 
Right. Right. So, so what we've said is when we talk about these adaptive muscles, these are not, this isn't a list of things to do that make you more exhausted. Right. right. And, right. and really right. we're trying to flip out of problem solving mode into really exercising something that's deeper that ultimately we hope is life giving. Right. right. So we think about discerning purpose. It's moving away from that anxiety place and that problem solving mode and, and shoring up the institution as we know it, but but really stepping back and slowing down and listening to the Holy Spirit at right. work. Right. say a word about how you have experienced the leader shift from being in a problem-solving mode to being in a discernment mode. What does that look like? Oh, uh, I'm not so sure that I, um, that I do experience that a lot. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, no, okay. no, I mean, isn't that the moment, though? I know. Um, yeah. it, it's not fair to say that it's not happening. I mean, think of the best leaders that you know that are already yeah. in our established uh, organi- institutional organizations. You know, if they have any uh, forethought at all, it's no longer about growth. It's much more about purpose and identity. Who are we going to be and what are we called to do? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we have a lot of people who are beginning that conversation and who are invested in that conversation and have at least one foot in it. But that doesn't mean that they don't, they can get the other foot out of the institutional needs at the same time. And so, you know, this isn't a place where uh, suddenly we have to follow another and a, a brand new best practice that we've discovered. This is all of us trying to figure out how do we shift some of our perspective um, mm. back to the purpose so that as we make our next moves, one of the things that I think that we can reasonably say is that uh, at the end of the pandemic, the uh, organizational form of uh, religion in America is going to be significantly different. One of the recent pieces I just saw is that about a third of the people in the pandemic stayed with their own local church, you know, by uh, through Internet or whatever their platform was and so forth. A third kind of kept their toe with their local congregation and then started to explore other other places to think about their spiritual lives. And then a third just simply um, had coffee that morning and Mm -hmm. don't feel any need to go back. Uh, And so, okay, so whatever does come back is going to be different. And it's going to prompt organizational questions that we were going to have to face in the long haul anyhow, but in the short run are not going to be able to ignore anymore. So the whole, the whole ball game is going to be different. Now, given that, People are going to have to learn how to be pretty inventive, you know, and, and there'll be a lot of uh, uh, good work that's already beginning. I, I have no question about that. But the other side of that is people are going to have to begin to question why were we here in the first place? Hmm. And once you start to ask why were we here in the first place, then you ask, okay, if that's who we are and that's what our purpose is, how do we live that now? What is God asking of us now in this place within the next five years? See, one of the things about the church is that uh, it's very comfortable with long horizons. They don't mind thinking in terms of, you know, the age of creation and and generations and generations onto this father and that and everything. Uh, No. What's our purpose and what is God asking in the next five years? Yeah. 
And that's where the hard work is going to have to start to happen. That feels really important because you're inviting people into a new conversation that. (laughs) (sighs) No, Uh, let me, can I play with that? Yes. I think we're inviting people into an ancient, ancient conversation. Oh, even better. (laughs) Uh, See, (laughs) that's what the Jacob's bones was all about. Yeah, This is the same conversation the Israelites had to have, except that theirs wasn't a pandemic. Theirs was, in fact, a success. They were struggling with success. Uh, You know, having been, uh, you know, living in uh, Egypt uh, at the time of the famine and, you know, uh, some of Pharaoh's lands were apportioned to them. Under Jacob, they did so well that they wanted to buy more property. They wanted to, you know, they... Instead of being, you know, the wanderers in the land, they wanted to become residents. Uh And that's where the rabbinic commentaries were so important, that they had to ask the question, who are we? And in fact, that's what that's what Jacob was doing by saying, you know, um, when you leave Egypt, take my bones, carry my bones forward. Let's carry our identity with us when we go. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's an ancient conversation, which is the same conversation we're having today about who are we and uh-huh. how do we carry who we are into this moment. Okay, so even better, an ancient conversation yeah, yeah. that maybe hasn't been at the fore of our mind, right, <laughs> but right. needs to be because it's a, it's a guide for us. Yeah. If, if, you know, back to the beginning of our conversation, if, if we're all wrapped up in problem solving and in the, in, in preserving the structures and the organization, if we can, if we can relax on that and set that aside and, and even let go of what we've tried to preserve that maybe isn't going to carry us and that isn't going to carry us right. into the future, then have that ancient, deeper conversation that says, who are we? Right now, right now, today, and what is it that God is asking of us in this community? Yeah. Well, can I tell you a story that goes with that? Oh, uh, you know, uh, in the sense that I think we have to be very careful as people who hold, uh, you know, ancient texts to say that when we start talking about Jacob's bones, this is not some esoteric conversation. This is not some, you know, kind of deep biblical. Mm-hmm. This is simply what we're experiencing. And so where Jacob's bones came from is we were having this conversation with a group of of leaders about uh, institutions and, you know, trying to carry forth purpose and identity in the midst of all this confusion. Mm -hmm. And one of the people says, that reminds me of the story of Jacob's bones. Well, that's where the first light went on. Uh (laughs) So you go back and look up Jacob's bones. Well, boy, that, that really rings true. Okay. And so I've told you about my friend uh, <laughs> Howard Levinson that I play pool with, and he teaches <laughs> constitutional law and criminal law. And so when we're playing pool, we're always talking about, you know, whatever we're working on, and we come to Jacob's bones. And suddenly he pops up and it resonates. He says, now, my wife Susan has the rabbinic commentaries on this, and this is really important. And so, so do you hear what just happened? This wasn't. This isn't something that you figure out by going into a library and sorting through old pages. No, this is, this is a vibrant conversation 
that catches people. Yeah. Because no matter how anxious we are about, you know, our bank account, uh, you know, or what school our kids may be going to, we still have this internal knowledge that there is something of great purpose in what we're doing by forming mm-hmm. a family. There is something of great purpose in what we're doing in forming a marriage or in being part of a religious community or seeking democracy or wanting to serve the common good. This is this is going back to fundamentals that that reside pretty deep in us. And so person to person in a conversation, I mean, this is not, as you said, some esoteric, you got to sit in a library and turn the book. This is, this hits to the, the core of who we are right. as human beings. Right. And so back to institutions, not as the organizations, but as a way of seeing the world, a way of being in the world institutions that hold values and practices right for human beings for us to right. be in relationship with each other right which uh, yeah. i think you know a part of the other thing i've been learning and thinking about is that uh, the younger an institution is or the younger an expression of an institution is the easier it is because the closer it lives to its purpose Mm. which is one of the reasons why the entrepreneurial efforts that are going on within the religious landscape today seem so pure and so high in energy. They're living very, very close to that purpose and, and to an understanding of who they are. Once institutions um, organize, they begin to, uh, well, they begin to serve themselves, mm. uh, you know, and, and which makes perfect sense. I mean, they have to worry about, governance, they have to worry about resources, they have to worry about all those things that allow them to to live and thrive. And so suddenly attention, you know, begins to move in the direction of organization rather than from that whole construction of of the reality. And at that point, you know, the longer an institution's in place, the more it begins to experience mission creep. You know, it starts to creep over into caring for itself as opposed to reflecting its purpose. Well, you know, that's kind of a hopeful thing at the moment because there is so much experimentation going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are so many, uh, you know, kind of initiatives that are happening outside of the established organizations where people are living closer to that purpose and learning about it. And so, um, you know, we're in a tough time, but a lot of stuff is going, yeah. Yeah. They're not as uh, tied up in the anxieties you described earlier. No, they're tied up in they're exhaustion, I think, because that's hard work. Yeah. Uh, but they're not, right. they're not caught with I think they're a lot clearer. Uh, and so they're mm-hmm. not caught with as much um, uh, anxiety. So as you look at this landscape and the realities of what's happening, what's given you hope for the future of the church as an, as an organization, housing an institution, you know? How, how do you begin to frame what actually is happening to us as the hope of how to get to the future? Uh, we are losing a lot of our organizational institution. And we're going to have to lose it. We're going to have to jettison it. But the hope there is that it leaves space for what is yet to come. That, yeah, we are still caught in this um, polarization in our culture. And it's not clear yet where we're going to end up, whether or not we're going to be a democracy or whether we're not. It's not clear whether or not we're going to honor the common good 
or get caught up in, you know, the kind of uh, combat, combative uh, individualism and tribalism. It's not clear what's going to, you know, what's going to come out of all of this. But the hope is that now we are at the point that we can no longer ignore this. We have to take a, we have to take a position. We have to begin to work on this. We have to go back and ask much more basic questions. So the hope is, isn't that, you know, that there is some easy way ahead. It's that the difficulty that we're facing this is pointing us in a very important direction. You are one of the people who are drawing us into that conversation over and over again and helping us uh, to name what's real, to name the anxiety, to name what is possible to let go of, and then invite us into a, an ancient Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and important conversation about identity and purpose and and what it what it looks like to lean more into the work of the Holy Spirit than the preservation of the organization. And and I'm so grateful. Over and over again you do it. I'm so grateful. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's important to recognize that uh, folks who are doing this and, and what I find within myself, too, is I don't do it because I have an answer. I don't do it because I know where this is going. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, um, I find myself trying to stay away from the clearest answers that are out there. So it's the mm-hmm. folk who are willing to, to step into these questions without knowing exactly how they're going to play themselves out, where I think the greatest hope is. And there's more and more of them all the time. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Good to be with you as always. And with you always, dear friend. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White. And from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.